Scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You may be seated. We are uh, using that passage in Ephesians 6 to remind us this morning that we are in a spiritual war, that the battle uh, is real, that the enemy is deadly, the stakes are high. Uh, There are things we need to do, there are things we need to know and understand if we want to win that battle. We need to identify the enemy, Uh, we need to try to the best of our ability to understand his tactics, to understand how he works. We need to arm ourselves for battle at some point as we continue our lesson. We're going to talk about uh, that, that armor and the importance of putting on the whole armor of God. Uh, that really is our game plan for the remainder of the lessons in this series. Who is the enemy? How does he work? What can we do to protect ourselves? Last week we uh, spent some time looking at that first question this morning we want to look at the idea of how does he work I think most of us would understand maybe from other areas of of life the importance of doing a scouting report on the adversary on the enemy I I grew up playing a lot of basketball it wasn't unusual for, for the coach to try to learn as much as he could about the opposing team some of their strengths and weaknesses what kind of offense uh do they run how, how do they defend are they going to are they going to press us? Or are they going to be in a zone? Are they going to do man-to-man? And we would actually you know, practice based on their tendencies. If we were going to play a team that, that ran a zone defense, we, we had an offense for that defense. And, and we would practice leading up to the game because we knew what they were going to do. In fact, there were times we were so aware of, of the offense that you know, this guy's going to pass, he's going to go that way. You could, you could anticipate what was going to happen. Because you knew their offense. You knew what they were going to do. I can remember times where, you know, it was easy to step in and intercept the pass. I knew it was coming. It helps us to know some of the tendencies, some of the strengths and weaknesses of the adversary. I think in a military sense, we, uh, we have intelligence agencies that help us learn as much as we can about the opponent's ground forces, air power, naval capabilities, we try to learn everything we can about our enemy's strengths and weaknesses. We, we talked uh, last week very specifically about our adversary and who, who he is. And this morning we want to talk about how he works. There are a lot of things that I want to say on this subject more than what I think we'll be able to accomplish this morning. And so we'll probably have a follow-up lesson. But, but I want you to see that his game plan, it's logical and it's progressive, you'll, you'll see this morning each point kind of builds on the next. One of the things that he will do, if you don't know God, if you don't understand who God is, if you're not familiar with the word that God has given us, the adversary will do the best he can to keep you in ignorance and 
in unbelief. You're, you're, you're exactly where He wants you to be. If you're, if you're totally unaware of the sin in your life, uh, the, the great threat that, that sin causes, how it, how it separates you from the presence of God, and, and really, if you die in sin, you're, you're going to be away apart from God, separated from God for eternity. If you don't feel the threat, if, if there's no sense of urgency on your part to change that status of your relationship with God, because you're totally, you're unaware of it. Now, you're exactly where He wants you to be. Some of the examples that I want you to consider in First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, as Paul was talking about his life before Christ, that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Notice what he said, that, that he received mercy, but he was acting ignorantly and in unbelief. In fact, he actually believed he was serving God by persecuting Christians. How, how deceived do you have to be? And, and yet, isn't that where the devil wants you? Not just ignorant of what God is doing in the world, but if he could have you so uninformed that you're fighting against God and you think you're serving him. What a, an incredible victory uh, he has won in your life. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1.14 referred to the life again before Christ, people who were converted to Christ. And he wanted them to be careful about conforming to what he called the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You, you lived a certain way when you didn't know the truth of the gospel. You hadn't met Christ. You didn't know that he was the Son of God. You, you didn't understand the incredible sacrifice that he made for you. And you, you lived under a different standard at that time. Don't live now that you know him, don't live the way you did when you were uninformed about all of those things. People live the way they live many times because they don't know any better. They haven't been taught or instructed to do better. And I think that describes how many people in our world are living. They kind of move through life from one activity to another in a state of ignorance and unbelief, not, not knowing who Jesus is or what Jesus has done, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And they're not seeking Jesus because they don't even realize how much they need Him in their lives. And Satan knows, I think, that if he can keep people in ignorance, uh, if they never learn that, that they're lost or that Jesus saves, uh, he can easily defeat them. Because people who live in ignorance, they don't even know. That they're in a battle right now for their souls. They don't understand how serious that is. That, that they're going to go to one of two places forever. For eternity. And one is obviously immeasurably better. And those of us who know that understand that. But, but there are a lot of people who don't know and they don't understand. There's some sermons in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, you have a portion of one of those lessons. Now, brothers, uh, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. I'll circle back to that in a second, but, but many of the things that people did that were, that were wrong, many of the things that they did that were actually kind of you know, offensive and sinful, they didn't realize when they were doing those things how wrong those things really were. And many of them would not have done what they were doing had they had a better understanding. In Acts 17, the sermon that you know, 
Paul is at the Areopagus and he's, and he's preaching to these people who care about wisdom and knowledge. And yet, it's so interesting that people who care so much about learning know so little about God. They are intent on knowing so much about you know, what, what's, what is new. I, I want new insight, new, new information, uh, knowledge I haven't heard before. And they're so interested in that and yet they're completely in the dark about very important spiritual matters. And he's standing in the midst of them, and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. They they had so many gods, and and they had one that that they didn't even know. In, In fact, I think the idea was, in case we missed an important God, we don't want to offend a God that we don't know about, and you know, have to face the wrath of a God we've offended. And so let's cover all the bases. We'll worship the unknown God. In Acts 17 and verse 30, these, uh, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Now he commands all men everywhere to repent. What, what are some of the things in the three or four passages we looked at? You have people who are worshiping idols because they just don't know any better. You have people who are living immoral lives and lives in total ignorance of God's, you know, righteousness and the morality that that has been given to us through inspiration they don't know any better you have a man who is a god-fearing man who loves god very much and has spent his whole life training to serve god who is persecuting the people that belong to god because he doesn't know any better you have people who have been looking for a messiah This long-awaited Messiah, and when He comes, they kill Him. And and bear in mind, I mean, Peter says, you acted in ignorance. I mean, how devious, how deceptive is an adversary that, that God is sending a Savior, and the adversary so blinds the eyes and the minds and the understanding of the people, when their Savior arrives, not only do they not recognize Him, they kill Him. That's how dangerous He is. That's that's how good He is at what He does. Obviously, it's harder to obey God when you don't know what He wants. And it's easier to to do wrong when when you don't even know that the thing you're doing is wrong. And it's why the devil does everything he can to keep us in the dark. It's one of the most effective tools that he has in his arsenal. This this ignorance or this ability to some degree, according to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, to, to blind the mind of, of unbelievers to keep them. Now look, I, I got to be honest, I don't know exactly how he does all of this, but, but he's going to try to keep us from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you remember uh, after, uh, you know, in, in John 14, Jesus is trying to get his disciples ready for his departure, and, and, and one of the disciples said, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And he's like, I'm right here. How could you say that? I've been with you all this time. How can you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the image of God, and yet people can't see Him. The, the devil doesn't want you to be able to see the Gospel and the light that comes from the Gospel. and He doesn't want you to see the glory of Christ. And he doesn't want you to have 
this picture that, that when we look at the life of Jesus, that the image of God, if He can keep you from seeing that, if He can blind your mind, He wins a great victory. What if He can't do that? If the devil can't keep you in ignorance, I think what he does next is he'll, he'll try to use false teachers to mislead you. He, he doesn't mind if you have some spiritual inclination, some, some longing for God, as long as you never hear the truth about God. If he can get you to accept something that is not the truth, but to believe with all your heart that it is true. He doesn't mind your religious aspiration as long as it's misguided. He doesn't care at all how hungry you are to learn more as long as you're misinformed. So much of what he does springs from what he is. And, and Jesus tells us in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. I think the NIV says when he lies, that, that's his native language. That's the way he, he speaks. You so, you know, we speak English. That's my native language. When the devil is talking to you, his, his language is the language of deception. He, he lies. You cannot trust this enemy. You can't believe him. How do you know when he's lying? His lips are moving. You all right? If he's talking to you, he's lying to you. A lot of people have believed his lies. They believe that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. There are a lot of people that live their life on, on, according to that mindset. Well, now, it's not right for you to, to tell anybody that what they believe, these are their convictions, and they're, and they're so sincere, and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Uh, my math teacher didn't buy that. I was pretty sincere about the answers I put on the test. And she told me I was wrong. Well, why, why do we look at that in other realms? And say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, nobody would say, well, he's sincere, but he gave the wrong answer. Yeah, but in religion, now that's different. In morality, it's different. You, you can be wrong. You can have all the facts absolutely backwards. But if you're sincere, it doesn't matter. He must laugh at us sometimes that we believe things like that. All roads lead to the same mountaintop. As a person who rarely knows where he's going. One of my favorite, and I've told this before, and I see Daryl sitting out here somewhere. Is I, I called him one night. I was in Oklahoma City, and I didn't, I didn't know how to get back to my house. And he was very kind to give me directions. And then when he got off the phone, 
he said to Leslie, he said, does it make you nervous that the guy who's telling us how to get to heaven doesn't know how to get home from Oklahoma City? Just wisdom and make him an elder. You know, that's how that works. You know you can't get on any road and it's going to take you where you want to go. you got to get on the right road to go where you want to go. And we understand that in so many areas of life, we get that. It makes perfect sense to us. But then we step into the religious realm and we swallow that thing. Hook, line, and sinker. Doesn't matter the road you're on. Don't worry about the road. Jesus said there are two roads. One's going to lead you to life. One's going to lead you to death. Which one are you on? Well, it doesn't really matter. You just pick one. You're going to end up at the same place. You're not going to end up at the same place. And yet so many people believe that. We're all on a journey back to God. We're just de- taking different paths to get, get there. What, what's right for you isn't right for me and vice versa. You're, you're, you know, find your truth. Find, just find your truth. You don't get to corner the market on truth. You don't get to come up with some idea that sounds good to you and call that truth. We're looking for the truth. Not my truth or your truth or somebody else's truth. You know, some of these folks that that have become very prominent in our culture and, and, and millions of people tune in and to listen to them dispense their wisdom are, are using terminology like that. Listen, just find your truth. Just be true to yourself and follow your heart. You know, one of the worst things you could do is take that advice. The heart is deceptive above all things. Who can understand it? Who could trust it? Sometimes the thing you want with all your heart is not the thing God wants for you. And yet people live their lives by that that kind of philosophy. Oh, doctrine doesn't matter. Just, Just listen, just do the best you can. Live a good life. Treat people right. Doesn't matter what you believe. It does matter what you believe. What, what you believe is, is really important. You need to know this morning that the devil doesn't care how sincere you are about your beliefs as long as you are misguided. As long as you are misinformed. You, you can talk about God all you want to. I think he even encourages such things as long as what you believe about God and what you're teaching others to believe about God, aren't, as long as those things aren't founded in the truth that God has given us. There are a lot of people who say a lot of things about God that, that God has never said about himself. They believe a lot of things and they teach a lot of things about God that you can't find anywhere in the Bible. And I think Satan likes that. I think he rather enjoys it to use misguided religious leaders to mislead other people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, he talks about men who are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They weren't apostles, they were false apostles. They, they might have been working, but their work was deceitful. 
They were not really apostles of Christ. They just disguised themselves. No wonder. I mean, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. When we first meet our adversary, he's talking Scripture in the garden with Adam and Eve. Well, what did he say? What did he say about it? Uh, you know, the day you eat it, you'll, you'll not, you know, you'll surely die. Well, let's talk about that. You think you're going to die? Well, he, he is really good at using religious language to confuse people. And, and again, I think it thrills him when, when people misguide and misinform, all in the name of religious devotion. It's really sad because sometimes. It's not just the teacher that's at fault, it's the listener. It's exactly what the listener wants. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure. Sound teaching is just healthy teaching. They have itching ears. They're going to they're gonna gather together a bunch of teachers to, to suit their own passions. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Let's, let's get teachers who stop telling us what God wants. It's so oppressive. It's, it's so heavy. It feels so serious. I mean, lighten up a little. Why don't we get, why don't we get some teachers who make us feel good about the lives we're living? That's what we want. We want teachers who instead of convicting us and, and calling us back to God, they'll just make us feel better about the way we're living right now. We want more teachers like that. Well, the problem with that is sometimes we shouldn't feel good. Now, you talk about an unacceptable statement. I just made one right there. Sometimes we shouldn't feel good about the choices that we make. Sometimes we make decisions that hurt God. You go back to the account in Genesis of the, the flood. It grieved God in his heart that he made man. Every inclination of the thought of his heart, only evil all the time. That, that hurt God. Sometimes we make decisions that hurt other people. Well, I mean, listen, I, this is just something I really want. And I, I'm going to follow my heart here. I'm going to, yeah, but you're hurting everybody around you. Well, you know what we need, because we don't, we don't want anybody to feel bad about it, so what we really need is to get some teachers who will validate that, and will just tell us that the way we're living is okay. Now, how deceived, how, how deceived are we? This is tough one because I think on the surface a lot of religions look good and they seem to be doing good things but we have to understand this warning in first John 4 and verse 1 beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world I don't think it's on your outline but you might jot down Acts seventeen eleven, where the Bereans have more no- noble character than the Thessalonians because They received the message with great eagerness, but they studied, they examined every day to make sure that the things Paul said, they they want to make sure those things were true. We shouldn't 
believe what we believe just because someone else believes it. Well, that's my mom or my dad or that's our preacher. Our preacher just said last week, listen, it is not true just because I say it's true. And, And you shouldn't listen to me that way. It's true if I can show you in the Bible that it's true. If you have a thus saith the Lord, you can, you can put your whole soul, the whole weight of your eternity down on the foundation of the Word of God and it'll hold you up. But, but you shouldn't believe things just because somebody else believes it. That's dangerous. And the, the devil loves that when we do that. You just think about how terrible it is that there, that there are people who have never really heard the truth of the gospel and you can't hardly teach them the truth of the gospel. They're so convicted of the, of the salvation they think they have obtained through human teaching and denominational doctrines. They're so convicted by it that they can't even hear the plain and clear truth set forth in the Scripture. They're so deceived that they think the truth is a lie. And they think a lie is the truth. And you can't, you can't, you can't change their mind. And they're basing their, their eternal salvation on something that can't be found in the Bible. Well, I think the devil was in that. He's, he's, he's leading the way in that kind of deception. The, the last thing, and we'll try to hurry through this last point, he'll do everything to keep you from being saved. Now, now you hear the gospel and you want to accept it. You're, you're considering, you're counting the cost. You're thinking through you know, what, what you've learned about Jesus Christ and, and, and how to submit to Him biblically. And Satan then, I think, unleashes some of his greatest power. Uh, He'll use all kinds of deception and delay tactics to keep a person uh, from salvation. Some of them, let's look at a few. In Acts 8 and verse 12, you'll notice, would you bring that up for me here? I think it's Acts 8 and verse 12. Uh, The ones along the path are those who heard, uh, there you go, uh, they heard the devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts. He doesn't want you to hear things this morning. He wants to... Here's the word. The word is it's coming. It's coming at you, and he wants you to be thinking about something else this morning. He, he wants to get that out of your heart. He doesn't want it really to sink down in, into into your ears and into your mind, so that through the course of the week you're thinking about is the devil. You know what we studied on Sunday? Is he doing that? Is that what I'm looking at right now? Is he doing that to me right now? No, no. He doesn't want you to hear that. He doesn't want you to think that way. He wants to take away the word from your heart before it has any opportunity to produce fruit. Let, let's look at a couple other examples here. In Luke 9, uh, 59 and 62, you, you have people, as Jesus is inviting them, follow me. Not, no, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, you know, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. And then after that, another one, uh, he says, I'm going to follow you, Lord. First, let me, let me say farewell to those at my at my home, and Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And there are a lot of people who are, I'm going to, listen, 
And, and some of them are sitting over here. There are young people. I'm going to come to God at, at some point. I know I've been taught right. I'm going to do right. But I'm going to do some other things first. First, you know, I'm young. I'm going to, do, I'm going to have some experiences that I want to experience, things I want to do. But then later... But this idea that first I'm going to do something else, there is nothing more important than coming to Jesus. There's nothing else in your life that's more important than being in a saved relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But the devil would like for you to do some other things first. He'd like to get you preoccupied and, and, and distracted in some other thing. In Matthew 19, I think most of us are familiar with this, this story. You know, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor. You're going to have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the young man hears this. He goes away sad or sorrowful. He had great possessions. Look, th- this is not a bad person. Don't, don't, don't think for a second. You'd look at this guy and a lot of churches would be happy to have him. He wants to know, how do I enter into life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. That guy knows the commandments. He didn't have to look them up. He starts quoting them to Jesus, all these I've kept since I was a child. But, but listen, there are some people that are really going to struggle coming to Christ because of their love for the world and their love for the things of the world. Money just being representative of some of those things. And, and the devil really would like for you to stumble over things like that. In Acts 24, verse 25, again, two, two more quick examples that i think are very familiar to us but as he is reasoning uh, about righteousness self-control the judgment to come you remember uh, felix who is afraid by that conversation says go away for now when i find it convenient i'll call for you but we never read about that time coming there are a lot of people with very good intentions i think they are sincere eventually but not now now is a very important word When you know what God wants from you, what He expects from you, you should do that now. If there are things in your life and and you know that you should give those things up, they are sinful things. And you've been doing sinful things. And you, you know you should stop doing those things. You should stop doing those things now. Now is a powerful word. You know that there are some things God wants you to do. You haven't been doing those things. You should start doing those things now. Well, then in chapter 26, verses 27 and 28, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And, and he says, you, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Or some translations, you know, you think in such a short time you could persuade me to become a Christian. There are a lot of people who are almost persuaded. They're convicted. They they understand important change, necessary change uh, that that they should be making in their lives. And they've, they've been brought under real conviction and they are just about to do something about it. Almost. And the devil would like to keep you there. I mean, if you've come that far, he'd like to keep you there as long as he can. Right there where you're almost. Because almost persuaded is totally lost. You're still totally outside of the well. I'm almost, no. You're not in the kingdom. If you're standing out here, you say, I'm almost in the building. Well, you're not in the building. 
or if the fire alarm goes off and you're in the auditorium, you didn't hear a sermon. You almost heard a sermon last Sunday night. You'll hear one tonight. But let me let me tell you some of the things people are doing right now. They're, they're saying, I don't know enough. There's some things I need to change about my life. I'm afraid uh, maybe what my family will think. I'm afraid that I, I won't be able to live the Christian life and and I'll try, but I'll fail. I need more time to think about this. I want to read through. I'm going to read through the whole Bible first and really try to understand everything. I can't give up some of these habits and some of the relationships. I know enough about God and what God wants from me. I know that there are things I'm doing I'd have to stop doing, and some relationships would have to change. And some of those relationships would even have to end. And I just don't know that I'm ready to do that. And you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty good, and, and I think good people go to heaven. Uh, I don't really like, I'm not sure that I, I'm, I'm a you know, supporter of organized religion, or maybe I've, I'm going to go talk to my pastor about this before I make such a, a big decision. I'd be baptized, but I'm afraid of water, and my salvation anyway is between me and my God. People say all kinds of things. And these are delay tactics that, that keep us from acting on the truth we know. Would you bring up that last slide for me? I think that, that Satan has, has kept a lot of people from experiencing the joy of salvation by filling them with, with doubts, with, with fear, you know, the people that said, I'm, a, I'm afraid I, can't, I couldn't live the Christian life. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to be afraid of it. There's no way you can live it without him. Well, I'm going to see how I can do it a while before I make. No, you're never going to succeed in living the Christian life without Christ. You're never going to do it without God in your life. The excuses. We have so many excuses. God loves you very much. And even Jesus showed the full extent of his love by giving his life up for you so that you could know the joy of of life with him. If there's an important change that you need to make in your life this morning, uh, for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, our our word for that is repentance. There's a, a turn. You need to make a change. Don't wait. Stop making excuses. It's very difficult to walk down in front of all of these people and make, you know, make public confession. It may be one of the most important things you ever do. And I know for a fact that the most important thing anybody ever does is to be saved by the blood of Jesus. That decision to make the good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God to turn away from sin, to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. There is no re- there's no reason to wait. If you've not done that, you need to come to the Lord this morning as we stand and sing.